Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into our willing souls. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew our hearts and make us whole. Cause your word to come alive in us. Breathe new life into us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week uh, we began this short series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we started that with two foundational statements. The first foundational statement was this. It is possible to know a great deal about God without having any real knowledge of God. Our goal in this series is not to know just a lot of facts about the Holy Spirit. We want to know the Holy Spirit. We want to cultivate a deeper level of fellowship with the Spirit of the living God in our lives. This is a series about knowing God. At times, yes, we can think of knowing the Father. At times, we can think more fully of knowing the Son. But here we're thinking of knowing God, the Holy Spirit. This is part of knowing God. Our second foundational statement then was this. In Scripture, we're not just invited to know God in a vague, superficial way. We're invited to enjoy real fellowship with each of the persons of the Godhead. We acknowledge that we can relate fairly readily in our Christian lives to the Father and the Son because these are relational uh, terms that we're used to. We can think of the Father as a good Father in his fatherliness. We can think of the Son as our Savior, the one who said, I no longer call you servants, but I've called you friends. We can connect with the Father and the Son in these ways, but the Holy Spirit we're a little more vague on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Sometimes we're even a bit unsure. Are we supposed to have any kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit? And so last week, we started off by asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And we did a bit of theological heavy lifting in some ways. Uh, So thank you for bearing with uh, some of the deep waters, deep Trinitarian waters we were swimming in. But we answered the question, who is the Holy Spirit, with the words of this ancient Christian creed, the Nicene Creed. We said that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. We recognize that whatever we affirm of the Father and of the Son, we may affirm of the Holy Spirit. So as the Father is all-powerful, omnipresent, all-knowing, eternal, independent, just, unchanging, faithful, wise, holy, and good, So is the Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. So we don't want there to be any thoughts of a kind of God the Father is kind of like the most powerful, and then the Son's kind of a bit less powerful, and the Spirit, he's a bit less powerful. No, we want to be really clear. The Father, fully God. The Son, fully God. The Spirit, fully God, to be worshipped and glorified. 
In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the Apostle Paul pronounced that lovely benediction at the end of his letter. May the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, be with us forever. And we, we focused on that fellowship with the Holy Spirit expression that Paul used in that benediction. The fullness of it is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us forever. We saw that we are to indeed try to cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. But to do that, I don't think it's just enough to know who he is. We need to understand more of what the Holy Spirit does. And so that's going to be the focus of our message this morning and of our next message as well. I got halfway through this message on Friday and I realized, okay, we're going to have to stop there. Uh, Otherwise, we'll all be completely overwhelmed and here a long time. So this is uh, the works of the Holy Spirit, part one, essentially. Uh, So if it feels like half a message, bear with me. The second half will come uh, in due course. But here's a text I want us to consider just in beginning. This was read earlier for us by Ruth. Jesus said to his disciples here in John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I just want to ask the question as we begin, have you ever really pondered that statement? Jesus is saying to the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go. Now, so much of me would be saying, no, 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 it couldn't be. Nothing could be better than having the bodily presence of the Lord Jesus with us. And Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying that the presence of the Holy Spirit with believers as comforter and helper and teacher is better and more profitable to believers than his bodily presence can ever be. And I think we have to ask, why did Jesus believe that? What will the Spirit do in our midst that will be so significant? We really need to ask that question because if this was Jesus' evaluation of the importance of the ministry of the Spirit in believers' lives, that it's, it's to your advantage that I go so that the Spirit will come and do His work among you, we really have got a long way to go, don't we, in, in really understanding and appreciating the value of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what He does among us. So our plan for this morning is to look at some of the works of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, the things that He does We're going to first seek to identify some of the primary works of the Spirit among the people of God in the Old Testament. His work there foreshadows, in a similar way to the various patterns foreshadow Jesus and his work in the Old Testament. We see foreshadowings of the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament that will become much more full and internal in the New Testament. After looking at the Old Testament, we'll look at some of the works of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, mainly his work 
of applying the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Applying our salvation to us. And then we'll wrap up with some closing implications of how this is significant for us and how this all helps us to cultivate a better and deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I want to give first a very brief theological side note as we get into thinking about the works of the Holy Spirit in different parts of Scripture. I want to teach you two theological terms that I think are helpful and worth teaching you about in case we go off on some kind of heresy or anything like that. The two terms are these, inseparable operations and appropriations. Now stay with me. It's inseparable operations essentially means all the persons of the Godhead are fully involved, acting as one in every work of God. So in the works of the Spirit that we're going to be thinking about, it's not as if while the Spirit is working, the Father and the Son are off doing something else. No, all of God is involved in all of the works of God. But we do speak of appropriating particular works to certain persons of the Godhead. In a sense, those persons take a lead. It's not the best way to speak of it, but I think it's the simplest. They take a lead in this particular work. So, for example, think about the death of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, dies on the cross. The Father didn't die. The Spirit didn't die. The Son dies on the cross for our salvation. But were the Father and the Spirit completely uninvolved in that work of the Son dying on the cross? We would not say that at all. The Father is present, willingly offering the Son, and present in willingly pouring out his wrath on his beloved Son. The Son is the willing sacrifice and we are told in Hebrews 9.14 that the Son was empowered for that work of redemption by the Holy Spirit. It was by the eternal Spirit that he offered himself up to death on the cross. So we say the Son is our Savior who died for us, but we can also, as Scripture does, speak of the Father as our Savior and the Spirit as our Savior. We can rejoice in the Father's saving through sending. The Son's saving through dying in our place. And the Spirit's saving by applying and awakening in us all of the benefits of what Christ has done. So let's just keep balance as we're speaking of the works of the Spirit. We are thinking that all of God is involved in these wonderful works, but it is the Spirit that this work is primarily appropriated to in scripture as I hope we'll see. So let's think now of three works of the Holy Spirit among God's people in the Old Testament that foreshadow his work in the New Testament. I hope this will be practically helpful along the way. First, we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament empowering believers to serve God. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament empowers judges to judge, kings to reign, and prophets to speak. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, for example, we read, Nervous, timid Gideon is called to lead and defend God's people from their enemies. We read that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and empowered him to judge and defend Israel. That is such a beautiful picture the Spirit of the Lord wrapping Gideon up with strength 
empowering him for the work that God has called him to. That's a judge who's empowered to judge. We see kings empowered. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, we read of David being anointed by Samuel for his calling as king. And we read, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David was empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the work God had called him to, to be the king of Israel. Then in Ezekiel 11.5, we see a prophet, the prophet Ezekiel, who says, The Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and instructed me to speak. Now, those are just three very quick examples. The Holy Spirit is clearly revealed in the Old Testament as the one who empowers God's people for the service God has called them to. And here's how I want to encourage us about this today and how this is relevant for us. Think of this. Our God does not change. The Father is unchanging. The Son is unchanging. The Spirit is the unchanging God. So he continues this work among us today. So it is no surprise at all that when the disciples were timid and fearful about bearing witness to Jesus, in the opening of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So you want to be a bold witness for the Lord Jesus in this cultural moment? You don't just need to sort of tighten up and be more brave. You need the strength and courage and power that the Holy Spirit is there to give you, is here to give you. We share fellowship with the Spirit. So you want to think, how do we enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit? We share fellowship with the Spirit in his strengthening grace. So in your quiet time, you remember, just for a moment, the Holy Spirit's here, dwelling within me. And his work is to give me strength to walk with God today. And so you could maybe turn that understanding into a prayer. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen me today so that I can be a faithful witness at work. Just as simple as that. Or if you're not as comfortable with that, you could say, Father, I thank you that through your Son, you've given me your Spirit to strengthen me today. Help me to walk in and depend on that strength. And in this way, you're having fellowship with the Spirit as your strengthener. Just as the people of God did all through the ages. Second work we see the Holy Spirit uh, taking a lead on in the Old Testament is teaching and instruction. The Holy Spirit is repeatedly seen in the Old Testament as the one who is giving instruction to God's people and pressing the word of the Father upon the people of God. So a great prayer we read in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20, for example. The people pray there. I think it's the Levites who take a lead in praying for the people. We read them praying, You gave your good spirit, Lord, to instruct them. Many years you bore with them, your people, in the, Old Test, in the, in the Exodus, and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. So there... 
in the book of Nehemiah, we see this understanding that the Father gave the Spirit to instruct his people in their wilderness wanderings. They were warned by the Spirit as the prophets spoke the word of the Lord. But the people would not listen to what the Spirit was saying. In Psalm 143, we see clearly that David understood this ministry of the Holy Spirit. He prays in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David clearly understands that the Spirit will instruct and lead him in his walk with the Father. In Isaiah 11, 2, The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of wisdom, understanding, and counsel who brings knowledge and fear of the Lord. And once again, how does this help us? Well, the same unchanging spirit is with us. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think this is lovely. We share fellowship with the Holy Spirit as our teacher. So we turn to him as we open our Bible or as you're sitting listening to a sermon and we look for greater insight and understanding into the things of God. Remember, it is not great intellect that brings you into a deeper knowledge of God. It is a deeper and closer walk with the Holy Spirit. And his illumination of God's truth that brings you into a deeper relationship with God. I find this so helpful. Some of you may feel like high flyers, academically brilliant. Others might not. And sometimes that might discourage you a little bit. Isn't it lovely that we read of the disciples, that people looking on saw that they were unschooled men, but that they had been with Jesus. And today, any one of us can walk closely with the Lord, can know God deeply because the deep things of God are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And so I would really encourage you as you open your Bible, as you pray, as you come to church, be sharing fellowship with the Holy Spirit in this moment, depending on him as our teacher, the one who illuminates, puts a light on God's word and opens the eyes of our hearts so that we can see more of God. The Spirit has been given to us so that we can understand the things freely given us by God, to understand all the glories and beauties of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is seen to be the teacher and the instructor of the people of God, and he's still the same Spirit, the unchanging Spirit today. Third work then that we see attributed to the Spirit in the Old Testament, he is the one who brings the comfort and rest of God's presence to his people. In Isaiah 63, 11 to 14, we read, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Like a flock, the Spirit was leading God's people through the wilderness, bringing them to the place of rest. And that same unchanging Spirit comforts and gives rest to the people of God 
today. In Romans 5, 5, for example, we read that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What else can that mean other than we are brought into a deeper experience of the love of God as the Holy Spirit ministers the love of the Father and the Son to us? I'm not sure how we should put this. He makes us feel it. I think that's quite weak. He helps us know it. Or when the feelings are weak, he just strengthens our faith to believe it. Actively involved, ministering to us constantly. In Romans 8.16, we read that the Holy Spirit brings us assurance by testifying with our spirits that we are children of God. I love this, and we're going to look at assurance the next time we're together more fully. But imagine the Spirit in some mysterious way quietly whispering to the soul struggling with assurance, you're one of God's children. Don't don't give way to that, that guilt and that fear. Testifying with our spirits, we are children of God. It's worth pondering that work of the Holy Spirit. Again, this helps us because the same spirit that was doing this work of bringing comfort and rest to God's people in the Old Testament, he's doing that work amongst God's people today. How this helps us? Well, we can have fellowship with the spirit as he comforts us in the love of God. I often struggle to really conceive of and appreciate what it means that the Father loves me. And that Jesus said that the love with which the Father has loved me, so I love you. I don't know if you find this, but sometimes that just feels like I cannot access that or get my head around that. That that this eternal magnitude of love from the Father to the Son is the degree to which the Son loves me. And so I think it can be a good thing to turn and ask the Holy Spirit to do that work of pouring the love of God into our hearts so that we would know more fully that we are loved. Now, we could say a lot more about this, but what I want to do now is is just move into the New Testament to see uh, how some of the works of the Spirit are unpacked in the New Testament, especially his work of applying the accomplishments of Jesus to our lives. As I said at the beginning, in a way, all of these Old Testament works foreshadow a much greater internal work of the Spirit that would be accomplished by Christ in the New Covenant. So what we're going to do now is think of three works of the Spirit that he performs in the New Testament to apply the work of Christ to our lives. Now, I want to take a separate sermon uh, to think of the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ Um, I couldn't fit that all into this morning. I'm not sure I'll even fit it all into the next sermon, but we're going to take one uh, time. So I'm not just leapfrogging over Christ to think of how the Spirit works in our salvation. We're going to take a whole message on that because it's important. But here's the the picture um, that that I heard once that I want to put before you. All of the accomplishments of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his atonement, everything that he did for us, It would all be like a lovely meal behind a big glass screen. Do you ever go to um, cafes or restaurants where they have all the the food displayed behind this big glass screen? Well, all of the accomplishments of Jesus, 
his salvation, everything would be like a lovely meal behind that glass screen. And if it were not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all we could ever do is look at it. All we could ever do is just look at it and say, wow, that looks wonderful. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take that lovely meal and to essentially feed it to us. Let's think of how the Holy Spirit does that, how he brings the accomplishments of Christ into our lives. Now, this could be a very long list. I picked three works this morning, and we'll pick the rest in the next message. First, let's think of the Holy Spirit's work of conviction. This is a work attributed to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Before any one of us can embrace the good news of God's grace in Christ, we must first grasp the bad news that we are sinners before a holy God. By nature, by ourselves, we do not understand the danger we are in because of our sin. We are unaware of our plight. But here is where the Holy Spirit's gracious work of conviction comes in. In John 16, 8, Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is why last week uh, I said that the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is the first person of the Godhead that, that touched our lives. Verse 9 of John 16, Jesus said he'll convict the world concerning sin. And Jesus said that he convicts us specifically of the son, the sin of unbelief. The Holy Spirit convicts us when we are in a state of unbelief that we are not hoping in God, that we haven't trusted in Jesus, that we're not right with God. In verse 10, Jesus said the Spirit will convict us of righteousness. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he challenged the various forms of self-righteousness that were on display, especially amongst the Jewish Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. But Jesus was going away and he was saying the Holy Spirit's going to continue that work. He's going to show people that they have a righteousness problem. That we're not righteous by ourselves. We can do nothing to earn that righteousness. We need to trust the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit then in verse 11 of John 16, we're told, will convict the world of judgment. Those who stay in unbelief and unrighteousness will come under the condemnation of the devil. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the reality of judgment. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you remember when he did this in your life? For some people it will be a very clear point in time. For other people it may be a more gradual experience. I certainly remember when this happened to me. I was in Coleraine at New Horizon. Two nights I sat through the meetings, bored out of my brains. I went along with Christian friends and all I wanted to do was see the preacher not take a long time. And how ironic is that? And, <laughs> and all I wanted to do was get to the promenade and go to the prom chippy. But on the third night, it was like the wind and the life of the Holy Spirit just filled the sails of my dead soul. 
And in, somehow, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. In that moment, I understand now the Holy Spirit helped me to see my sin, that I was not trusting in Christ. He convicted me of my unbelief. My problem of righteousness, I became aware that I was not righteous and that God was holy. And he convicted me of the judgment that would come if I did not flee to Christ. And I remember it was like, it was like a wave hit me and I was paralyzed in my seat that evening. And I was essentially saying at the end of it, what must I do? What do I do now? The Holy Spirit met me and convicted me of sin and righteousness and judgment. And how thankful I am for that wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Can you say that? Do you know the gracious, gentle work of the Spirit in your life? And we know that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop this work of, con- work of conviction when we come to Jesus. This is so kind. The Holy Spirit continues to convict us of areas of our lives that are in further need of gospel transformation. He graciously, patiently, and lovingly convicts us so that we will repent of our sin. And grow to become more like Jesus. And so I think just one point of application here I want to make in light of the Holy Spirit's work of conviction is, is your heart open? Are you inviting the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Maybe for a long time you haven't thought in this way. We justify our sin so easily. We deceive ourselves so easily. And we need the all-penetrating eye of omniscience to truly penetrate down into what's really there. I would encourage you to invite the Spirit of the living God to keep convicting you and showing you areas of your life that need to be conformed more fully into the image of of Christ, of God's Son. And pray for the Holy Spirit then to help you to make the changes that are needed. This is the Spirit's wonderful work of salvation in convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But we move on then to think of the next step, the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. By nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins. In Romans 8, we read that we are spiritually incapable of turning to Christ in faith because by nature, we love our sin. We love darkness rather than light. And once again, this is where the Holy Spirit enters in and works a powerful transformation of this situation. In this act of regeneration, the Holy Spirit removes our old sinful nature and he gets to work like a surgeon and implants a new nature in us. A nature that that is alive to God, that sees the glory of Jesus, sees the glory of the Father. A nature that has an appetite for God and the things of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing about regeneration, generation of new life. Jesus taught so clearly this work of the Spirit in John 3, 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And I always emphasize that word must. It's not that Jesus said it's a good idea that you consider this or let me invite you to think about this. You must be born again. Because the consequences of not being born again are eternal hell. That's why Jesus is so urgent. This is a work of the Holy Spirit to wash us from sin through the death of Jesus, wash us in the blood of Christ, you could say, and to give us a new nature. The corresponding human response to this work of the Spirit is conversion. It's what we call repentance and faith. Awakened by the conviction of the Spirit, regenerated by the power of the Spirit, we willingly, in a historical moment or in history, we willingly choose to turn away from our sins that we start to hate because of the work of the Spirit, and we irresistibly turn to Christ and embrace Him by faith. John Owen, that great theologian, And pastor puts it like this, the spirit makes every gospel truth like well-refined wine to our souls and the good things of the gospel to be a rich, a rich feast of good things. Where once you saw nothing, the spirit brings regeneration and you see the things of the gospel as a treasure. No one can be brought to this point of saving faith without the powerful, free, sovereign, saving work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I think he means there, say, savingly, truly, from the depths of the heart, Jesus is Lord. You can't get there apart from being born again of the Spirit. And once again, the Spirit doesn't end this renewing work in us once we're saved. He keeps renewing us day by day by day, which is so wonderful. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, we read, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, keeps bringing life to your weary soul. And how thankful we are for his help in this. We have fellowship with the Spirit as the one who regenerates and breathes new life in us. Again, let's be asking ourselves, have we experienced this transformation? Or have we constantly been pushing away the urging and the impressions and the conviction of the Spirit? I urge you not to do that. Because one day perhaps it could be too late. The third work of the Spirit then that I just want us to think about is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or union with Christ. This again could be a whole sermon by itself but I'll be fairly brief and we'll pick up probably from here next time. In John 14, 6, Jesus explained to the disciples that the Father would send the Spirit in Jesus' name into believers to take up residence within them. Where in the past the Holy Spirit dwelt with God's people in an external kind of way, 
In the new covenant, he would dwell in a new way internally with God's people. In a new way internally with God's people. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, He dwells with you and will be in you. It is through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that we are brought into a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, Christ dwells within us. The clearest text that helps us see this is Romans 8, 9, and 10. Listen very carefully. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So Paul uses interchangeably there the spirit of God dwelling in you, the spirit of Christ dwelling in you, Christ dwelling in you. Now we're going to think about that when we think of the spirit as the spirit of Christ in our uh, next sermon. But here's the point. If the spirit of God is in you, he brings Christ into you. He brings you into union with Christ. He unites you to Christ and Christ is united to us by this spiritual union. The Spirit makes our, our, our hearts, we could say, a sanctified home of righteousness for the Father and the Son. Similar to how the Spirit shielded Christ in the incarnation from the sin of Mary. Now that's pretty deep. The Holy Spirit overshadowed and made sure that Jesus, the God-man, was not infected by Mary's sin. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit creates a home of, of righteousness for the Father and the Son to indwell the people of God. The Spirit brings the Godhead right home into our hearts. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's how Jesus described the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. God indwells every believer by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus said in John 16, 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. Jesus, Jesus knows it is better for us to have the Spirit bringing his powerful life to us on the inside than it is to have the Son on the outside. By the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would come to live within rather than just live without. And this, in a sense, is where now we tie together the work of the Spirit across the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Holy Spirit empowers, instructs, and comforts in the Old Testament. He does this also in the New Testament. But where in the Old Testament, he does it by coming upon people, by leading on in front of, and by being present with God's people. In the New Covenant, he indwells God's people. He doesn't just come upon us to empower us. He comes to live within us, to strengthen us with power in our inner being. He instructs us by the work of illumination of his inspired word and leads us from within. 
And he brings the comfort of God the Father and God the Son right into the very home of our hearts. He takes the love of the Father and he makes it known to us in the Son. He pours it into our hearts. He helps us to experience God. To not just know about God, but to know God. He gives us assurance. He bears witness with our spirits that we are indeed children of God. It was at this point where I realized I had another five points. And I said, right, that'll be enough. I'm sure you're glad to hear that. But next time, we're going to pick up and consider more of how the Holy Spirit helps us to know our adoption. Helps us with assurance helps us and continues the work of sanctification in us, how he intercedes for us and prays for us. But for now, what I want to do is just sort of um, draw stumps here uh, by just drawing out a few implications from what we've heard this morning. And with these practical implications, I'll close. Uh, We'll sing and we're going to then share uh, the unity that we enjoy, that the Spirit has created as we gather around the Lord's table to have communion together. Here are just four implications from what we've been thinking about today. I think very clearly we should make it our goal to live in daily dependence on and with appreciation for the Holy Spirit. Let's just ask ourselves that question. Would you say you're living in daily dependence on and with a biblical appreciation for the Holy Spirit? Maybe ways that will help us to do that. Um, Let's thank the Father and the Son for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's make that a continual prayer. Rejoice in the Spirit. Praise him for his convicting and saving, empowering work in your life. Second, enjoy fellowship with him in his strengthening grace. You could pray, Spirit of the living God, strengthen me today so that I may honor this Father and the Son. Ask him to strengthen your faith. Enjoy fellowship with him in his strengthening grace. Second, or third, sorry, enjoy fellowship with him in his instructing grace. What I mean here is come to your Bible, come to sermons with an absolute dependence on the the Holy Spirit illuminating and helping you to see and understand. There's a world of difference between just reading the Bible because you're a Christian, you have to read your Bible, and reading the Bible to see and to hear the book live to you. Seek the Spirit to make the book live to you. Then four, enjoy fellowship with him in his comforting grace. Keep looking to the Holy Spirit to pour more of the love of the Father and the Son into your heart. Ask him to open your eyes that you'd behold the grace and beauty and majesty of Jesus on a whole new level. Now, as I said, there's so much more we could say, but we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks' time. I think in studying this, I have realized myself all the more just just why Jesus said it's to your advantage that I go. Because I'm going to go, but I'm going to send the Spirit. And he is going to do, take all that is the Father's, all that is mine, and he's, he's going to press it right home into your heart. And we'll pick up really what that means next time. But for now, let's just pray and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Son, has gathered us and brought us together. 
by his wonderful work of convicting and regenerating and indwelling. And so, Father, we rejoice in your sending of your Son to be the sin-bearer. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you, our salvation. And Holy Spirit, we rejoice that you have taken the accomplishments of the Son and you have applied them to our lives. You've given us eyes to see. and You've awakened us from the dead. And these works are works of our triune God. So there's no reluctant father in salvation. There's no unwilling son. There's no spirit acting in a way that he's constrained against his will. No, the whole Godhead works as one. The Lord Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our salvation. And Father, we thank you that you gave your Son to the world and that while your Son was on earth, he gave us this simple meal of remembrance where we would remember his death and all it accomplished. And we would be bound together in the unity of the Spirit in a very special way as we share the Lord's Supper together. So as we respond and sing and prepare our hearts for that, we just pray that you'd continue your work of convicting us and awakening us and pouring your love into our hearts by your Spirit. And we pray that we would be refreshed together in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are, um, being the first Sunday of the month, going to share communion together, the Lord's Supper. Uh, And if you've come in this morning and you know and love Jesus, you're a member in good standing with your local church, you're welcome to share in this meal of remembrance with us. If you are intending to share communion, but you didn't recognize that's what we were doing, and you walked past the table with the cup and the bread on it, during the first part of our next hymn, you can just nip back, uh, get the bread and the cup, so that you're ready then when we have communion together. If you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're not going to share in communion with us, Um, you're still so welcome here. We're so glad that you're here and we'd really encourage you to just pray and ponder and open your heart even in this moment to what's holding you back from coming to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let's stand together and we'll sing the first part uh, of our hymn where we are thinking of rising up in the strength that the Spirit gives. Let's stand to sing.
1 Corinthians 11, speaking of the moment when the church would gather to share the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul says, let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What we're going to do is take a few moments just to examine ourselves. That means just open our hearts, becoming aware of the presence of the Lord, confessing our sins, remembering that Christ has died to take away our sins, and having communion with the Holy Spirit as he presses on us again the significance of Christ. So let's take a moment to be still. Let's open our hearts. Then I'll lead us in a prayer as we give thanks to the Lord for the bread and we'll break it together. Let's be still for a moment. Father, we do open our hearts before you just now. We reflect on some of the things we've been considering this morning. The empowerment from your spirit. The instruction. The comfort that comes. Father, none of this would be ours if it wasn't for the work of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid our debt through his death on the cross. And we know that the Holy Spirit would want in this moment to floodlight the Son. And so, Father, we behold your Son in the glory of his death. We remember that our sin was put upon him that he bore the wrath that should have been ours. And he died and defeated sin. And he rose again. And that saving life of Christ is made our life, our new creation life, by the power of the Holy Spirit coming to live within us and to bring all of the saving benefits of Christ to us. And so we rejoice in our salvation this morning and and how amazing it is father that that we have peace with you that all is well between you and us because of jesus if we are in christ that your face smiles on us there's no condemnation towards us not a drop just because of jesus because we're in him all is well with our souls and and That is just the most freeing and liberating thing in the world, Father, and we rejoice in our salvation. And we thank you for this bread and the the way it signifies the the self-giving love of Christ through his death on the cross. And, And as we eat it together, may we discern Christ and may we also discern our unity that we come as one people to one Savior and we all meet together at the fountain of our salvation, Christ.
So bless us, Lord, as we enjoy this fellowship with you, our living God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can have your bread at the ready, please. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together as one. Father, as we thank you for the bread, we thank you for this cup that reminds us that all the benefits of the new covenant, even the the gift of the Spirit, was purchased by Christ through his death. We could not have the Holy Spirit if Jesus had not purchased the gift of the Spirit through his death on the cross. And so through his death, And his ascension, he goes to the Father and he pours out the Spirit. He gives the Spirit to the church. And Father, we just rejoice that we have your Spirit because of the accomplishments of your Son. We thank you, Lord, for everything that this cup points us towards. Not just fellowship with Jesus now, but a taste of the future fellowship we will enjoy in the new heavens and new earth. So bless us, Lord, as we share together in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together as one. Father, thank you that we do not go out into the rest of this day or into the week ahead alone. Thank you, Father, that along with the Son, you've given us the Holy Spirit, our helper to be with us this week, to empower us when we feel our weakness, to instruct us in all the ways of God, and to bring the very love of the Father and the Son right down deep into our our deepest being. So may we learn more and more what it means to really have communion and fellowship with you, the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise together and sing the rest of O Church Arise.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Please do.